the name of the podcast is uh, The Power of Community, um, which I guess talks a bit about, uh, you know, on the topic that we're going to discuss. And I feel there is no better person uh, than someone like yourself to talk about uh, community. Thank you. Um, so I would like to start by asking you, please, uh, to introduce a bit yourself and um, a bit of your work so people get to know who you are and then you can uh, delve a bit more into community development, ABCD, appreciative inquiry, etc. Okay. Well, um, I've spent the last 30 years focused on how to build community by creating opportunities for people to work across difference on behalf of what they value most. And that means differences of generation, race, geography. Um, but in order to do that, because people enter those relationships with some apprehension, you have to create contexts which are very empowering for the people and which give them a chance to understand and honor the differences in perspectives. So we've been doing that um, for 30 years and it spawned a movement of social innovation around the world, largely because I think it connected to a lot of other people's practices and aspirations that were um, constructive and community focused. That sounds impressive, I guess, uh, especially the part about uh, bringing people together with differences and being able to find a way for them to work together. So how did you do it, please? What did you do? Well, you know, initially we gathered a design team in Chicago of people who really crossed a lot of bridges, who, as I said, kind of held the city together against the odds, very interdisciplinary thinkers. And we started really with a blank canvas saying that if we were going to have a regeneration process in the city of Chicago, you know, how would we go about it and what would make it work and what would make busy people, including the people on the design team, interested in participating. And in the course of that year of, of trying to figure out what the mission might be and how to design it, um, we lit on two ideas that seemed very powerful. One was that one of the most um, toxic barriers to hope was the prevalence of cynicism which tended to shut down ideas before they got going. And the second is that if we were really focused on community futures, we had to have a way of helping people think from the whole. And that one way of doing that was by turning over the leadership of the process to a group of kids who were the ones who were dying young and being left out and left behind. So um, we thought if we, can create a process which asks questions rather than having answers, it will tend to diminish some of the turf wars and maybe open things up, open up the system to new ways of seeing. And if we can have young people ask those questions, then quite literally the people who represent the future most vividly, especially young people who are most kind of at risk, um, if young people ask the questions, then people will be held accountable to hope in a different way because they'll see so visibly why it matters. So that's what we did. We did a citywide interview process. And um, someone mentioned along the way that the questions we had designed, which were very singularly constructive, 
reminded him of something called appreciative inquiry, which we then found out about. But we, our instinct was simply that it had to be grounded in constructive communication to disarm the cynicism, and it had to be intergenerational in order to reach into the future very, in a very real way. And um, this is quite innovative, um, getting the children to ask the questions, and it changed the power dynamics, right? I guess that's the uh -huh. first point I want uh -huh. to touch on. So the, the kids are not the actual recipients so much that people okay. are doing things to them, but they are empowered to be to be to join this uh, exploration, right? This discovery. Well, they're they're really the change agents because you know the person who sets the question sets the direction, and but importantly, it was also the questions about which they were asking were really citizen to citizen questions. So rather than entering that conversation as a young person who doesn't know anything. They were yeah. both entering the conversation as citizens who had experience in the city and who cared about the city's future, who after a fact were owners, co-creators of the city's future. And so that was very empowering. It's also touched a deep nerve for the people being interviewed because I think, you know, as, as you, live your life, you deeply hope, especially as you get older, that you've built a legacy that will matter to someone coming after you. But many older people never have the chance to sit down with a young person who is eager and curious and say, and asking, tell me how you made a difference. And so the dynamic of that very passionate, committed young person, but again, who could if you kind of don't join, you know, hand in hand um, and working for a different future could be dead next year. To have a person like that really delving into your experience and life and hope was a very powerful moment. It turned out it was powerful for the kids, even though it wasn't designed as a youth development project, but it was very powerful for the adults. And one of the things which happened immediately following the interview was that the young person wrote a thank you letter summarizing what they had learned and taken away from the interview. And some of the interviewees framed those letters and put them on their walls. Wow. Um, I want to ask you a question that's a bit technical, please. Uh, because uh, here in my work, you know, with ABCD and Appreciative Inquiry in Sydney, in Australia, I get a lot of questions about um, where do we find, A, where do, you, where do we find, how do we, you know, enroll these children and young people, and B, do we need to train them? That's mm -hmm. some questions I'm getting from community and from, mm -hmm. you know, service providers. And mm -hmm. I would like you to address these questions in terms of engaging. Where do we, can we engage, you know, children and young people in such a process, such a powerful intergenerational process and interviews? And uh, do, you, do you feel that they actually need some training? or not, that some, some things are inherent in them? Well, um, the, in, which, in response to the first question, where do we find them? We went to organizations, um, in this case, the Chicago had a very broad network of working with the kids who were most at risk. Mm -hmm. And so they were working with wards of the state, they were working in the most at risk communities. And they typically had after school, or sometimes it would be coined leadership development, but mostly they were 
after school activities more than they were really truly leadership. And um, so they, but an organization like that had the capacity to identify kids and also to mobilize them, you know, to, to call a meeting and have 50 kids showed up because they had 250 mm -hmm. kids in their programs. And that was important because, yeah. you know, it would have, it would have overwhelmed the process to have to go out and kind of recruit kid by kid, you know, but, sure. but there are plenty of organizations that are connected to kids, whether those are after school or extracurricular programs or whether they're schools. Um, so that wasn't a major issue. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and that, that organization itself and of community-based organizations. Um, interestingly, after we did the process, um, there were a lot of community-based organizations who came to us and, and followed that same process within their own communities. Ours was a citywide process, but the kids were so um, eager and enthusiastic about the interview process because they could tell it was real work. You know, it was real work and they were talking to people who were considered quite important in the city and it built a lot of lifelong connections for them. So that was one thing. To your question mm -hmm. of training, yeah, we, we had um, really only a several hour training um, mm -hmm. in which, and, and this is all well documented on Imagine Chicago's website, you know, what the content of that was and things like that. But, sure. the, but the training was really, first of all, to um, give them some sense of appreciative inquiry and the interview process, meaning the point, what is the point of this conversation? And to actually give them practice asking the questions um, so that they had some sense of what that mm -hmm. process was. Importantly, and this was a very important moment in the process. Originally, the questions that we used were designed by a committee that didn't include any kids because the idea of having kids ask the question surfaced pretty late in the process. But as soon as we had that idea, um, I insisted that the next moment would be to gather 50 kids and have them do the interview process and then give us feedback about the questions. And when we did that um, with a group of, of kids from the Chicago Area Project, they significantly revised the questions based on their experience of the interview. And I think the process was a much stronger process after that for two reasons. First, because we had better questions and they entered the flow of conversation more naturally for the kids. But secondly, the kids really noticed that we listened to what they had to say and changed what we did based on what they said. And that really got kids interested in the process as a real process in which they could make a leadership difference. Yes, impressive. So, please, my next question is, what were some examples of these questions and what type of answers you started getting? Yeah, well, you know, the, the first question, I, I can't remember them exactly because this was almost mm -hmm. 30 years ago, but it was, you know, there were only nine questions. And, you know, the first question was, what first brought your family, you or your family to Chicago? And the reason we asked that question was because we were interested in establishing 
a relationship to Ch Chicago as a matter of choice and as a positive choice. Yes. You know, so you would, so you would, you, in some cases, you might get a story of, you know, family or work or, you know, I, I remember one person saying, no one ever came here for the weather. Um, and, but, but it was a, it was a way of saying, tell me something about your background. But since the interview was on imagining Chicago, we also wanted to establish a relationship to the city. So that was the first question. And then the second question was, you know, as you think of Chicago as a whole, and that was a trick question because we knew from experience and focus groups that very few people thought about the city as a whole. But our view was that unless people could think about the city as a whole, nothing was going to change very much. So we wanted people to think about the city as a whole. So we said, you know, if you think about the city as a whole, what images or people or places come to mind? So, you know, that was an invitation to take a different perspective, which was broader and more inclusive, but also to get a kind of visual map of how people saw their city. Um, and then we asked questions about people's experience in the city. So said, you know, as you think back over your time in Chicago, what stands out for you as a real highlight of your life here as a citizen of the city? And more often than not, the answers to those questions were around positive public experiences. And it could be anything from, it was when I was at the 4th of July picnic and I burned my hand on you know, a hot coal and a Korean family who was sitting near to us whom we didn't know rushed over and took me to the hospital. You know, so it was often an experience mm -hmm. of community. Sometimes, not as often, it was some achievement or award or, you know, something that people did together. But quite often, it was an experience of being in public that was very moving, you know, which I found fascinating because um, it also showed people were you know thinking more broadly and it, you know there was a question I'm losing track of one in there but there was a question about kind of how would you how would you describe the city that's not per se a, necessarily a positive or negative question but what we found is that so many people had had negative as well as positive experiences that it was mm -hmm. important to ask a neutral question that, you know, so that if people were feeling heartbroken, they had a place they could say so. And if people were kind of Chicago fans, they could yeah. say that too, but it didn't prejudge, you know, what they were going to say. And then, you know, so those were questions that were all about sort of their experience, you know, what, what has been, a, an, what experience have you had of really seeing the city come together around something that made a difference? Those are all past kind of experiences. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if you stand in Chicago, if you stand in the future a generation from now, and Chicago's really different, I can't remember exactly how we phrase that, but basically, you know, look around, what do you see? You know, what's become true? What did it take? So there was a set of questions that were standing in the past looking forward and bringing that forward, what 
what you learned, what you saw, what you valued, what worked. And then there was a set of questions standing in the future, looking back, you know, and gathering the insights that emerged. And then the, the eighth question was, um, was, you know, as you think back over this interview, because the interview questions took about 45 minutes or an hour. If you think back over these, this interview, you know, what image comes to, ma- to mind as really representing your hope for Chicago's future? Because people yeah. will, by that point, have talked about a lot of things. But mm-hmm. one, one very unanticipated response that we got very often is that the person being interviewed would look at the person, the young person interviewing them and say, you. Which was a very moving movement, very moving answer. Of course. And very moving moment, you know, for both of them. And then the, the final question was, you know, who else, who else would you recommend, um, you know, to be drawn into a conversation like this. And, and there was some question about, you know, what do you think, what do you think are the most important things we need to do to get the city working together, moving and working together? Anyway, that process again is very, 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 very well documented on Imagine Chicago's website. And in many other places, there's a case study about it. And um, it's been cited as a best practice in the EU just recently in the EU citizen participation book. Um, so it's been documented in a lot of places. So if people are interested in that, I would really recommend that they go to imaginechicago.org and you can read all about it. They can spend a lot of time there. There is a lot of you know videos, resources. I want to ask you two questions, uh, please. One for, you know, one a bit from the, about the past of the process and one about the, the future, what happened. So my first question is, and this is uh, something that we deal a lot here in, in Australia. Um, this process is quite like bottom-up, as we say in ABCD, involving the kids, you know, to drive the interviews. And mm-hmm. uh, did you deal with any opposition from traditional top-down thinking or people who, you know, have a more expert, like, you know, research, evidence-based approach? And, and uh, did you see any mindset shifting from that process, of, uh, from those people or... How, like, my question is, how did you agree that this is the, the methodology to go? And did you find any opposition from more traditional top-down mindsets? That's the first question. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before, before we went out and did the interview process, we wrote up a kind of concept paper, um, you know, kind of perspectives of what we were planning to do. And I took that and had one-on-one lunches with... I don't know, probably 40 people to talk Mm -hmm. about it who represented pretty traditional mindsets and, you know, to talk about kind of what do you think about this and what do you think would make this process work or fail or whatever. And so, of course, I got lots of resistance and lots of advice. And um, in fact, in, in the book that I'm writing right now, I have one whole chapter devoted to they said we believed we said, you know, sort of how, how we, how we dealt with those. Um, But, but my point was not to convince anyone, you know, if they said, for instance, you know, this process, I mean, yeah, it's fine to go out and talk to people, but 
you know, imagine Chicago's process isn't going to work because it's never going to get funded or because yeah. funders are only going to fund programs or because whatever. You know, if someone said something like that, I would say, wow, it's really helpful for you to give me a perspective on the current funding situation. You know, mm-hmm. what, what sort of what can you tell me or what, what do I need to know in terms of how funders are now thinking? And for that matter, you know, if this process were to be funded, who do you think the funders are that would be interested in supporting it? Mm. <laughs> now, you know, they've said not going to get funded. People not interested doesn't fit, yes. not going to get funded. I said, funding, how, how? funding, what an interesting <laughs> and helpful thing to break, to raise, you know, let's talk about funding and thank you so much for pointing that out to me. Share mm-hmm. everything you know that I can learn from so that this doesn't become the barrier to success. Amazing. And, That's an amazing positive reframe. You know, and, and I did that with everything. It didn't matter yeah. what the, you know, I mean, people would say, seriously, you're going to get teenagers to do the interview mm. process? Cynicism. And we I, talked and, about that. Right? And, and I would say, well, first of all, I'm only getting teenagers to do it who want to do it. And mm. to me, the power of commitment is the greatest power there is for making change. So you're absolutely right. If, you know, if the point you're making about teenagers is that you encounter a lot of resistance, I wouldn't get anyone involved who didn't want to be involved because that would go against the grain of what we're trying to accomplish here. But, you know, teenagers have energy, they have passion, and they're curious, and they want to learn, and they need connections, and they know it. So if I can find teenagers who know that this could be a path to a viable future for them and that they could otherwise be dead and they're excited to do it, I can't think of a better person to do it. Now, again, I've said, okay, let's talk about what teenagers are about. You know, presumably Mm -hmm. people say, oh my gosh, teenagers, are you kidding me? It's because they're thinking of teenagers as impossibly resistant. You know, but this isn't a jam down anybody's throat. Whereas I'm thinking of teenagers as people on the cusp of really coming out in a way that makes a difference. Yes, definitely. And, definitely. and, and you know what else? When, when people would express resistance to me, I would say, you know what? You may well be right. I've, I've never tried this before, but here's, here's why I'm thinking that this might be worth trying. Mm-hmm. You know, which is not you're wrong and I'm right. I don't know if I'm right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or, or, I mean, you could, you could reframe it by saying who, who, who do you think would be better to have do the questions? Who do you think would be the best interview? interviewer you know and why would you why would you pick them so people changing in their perspective or their thinking or relaxing a bit their guard when you were having these uh, more you know positive conversations with them please and asking well, them those well i mean what one of the things one of the things that i got more than once 
was very senior executives just saying to me, Bliss, I really envy you the courage it's taken for you to quit your corporate job and do something like this. I wish I had the courage to do it myself. Wow. It's a powerful statement. You know, so I think people, I mean, people were giving me what they really thought was good advice. I mean, it may have sounded like no, not can't, mm -hmm. but I was there to learn. And curiously, the very first time someone asked me formally to do an article about Imagine Chicago, I mean, a, write a you know book chapter about Imagine Chicago, I wrote the book chapter and she came back and she said, you haven't discussed any barriers or resistances. There, and they must have come up all the time. And I said, hmm, that's a good point. They must have. And I said, but, but I said, honestly, I just don't notice them. I mean, I just don't think that way. You know, it's we, like, yeah. it's, it's like a design, you know, it's like someone mm -hmm. giving you a design constraint. Yes. Says, you know, you have to design it within this box. And I'm saying, interesting, how big is the box? I'm not saying, oh, no, we can't design it. I'm saying, okay. What do I need to know? Amazing.